In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 387, I believe. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, episode uh, 387, and uh, the big topic tonight is the Batman Universe miniseries, which was originally printed in the Walmart uh, stuff. The I guess they're calling them giant size or something like that comics, the 100-page giants. The, do- the ones that are a dollar or were a dollar or whatever they were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, those, those ended up being collected in single issues, six issues, and we'll be talking about that. But first, we got a, several things to get to. The first of which is, uh, is that we're on Spotify now. Woohoo! Um, I actually just today, uh, signed up for Spotify Premium myself. Um, just like, you know, trying to think about what music service I wanted to get. And, you know, they've got Amazon Music and Google and, uh, you know, Apple Music and all these other things now. So I'm just, you know, I've been weighing my options and I decided on Spotify Premium. But while I was there on the website, I was thinking, wait, Spotify has podcasts now. I forgot. Let me try and submit the podcast, uh, to the, sh- to Spotify to be in their feed. And uh, we got accepted. We're on there. I did a search in Spotify right now uh, under for the Lantern Cast, and there it is. You can follow it and listen to uh, the episodes. And I am scrolling as fast as I can. It is. I mean, it looks like it's loading very old stuff. I'm getting down to the uh, to er, to the early 100s, um, and it's still loading. So yeah, it looks like it's got the entire catalog on there. All the way down to episode zero from November 16, 2008. So if you guys want to listen to us on Spotify, that is another option for you. I am bringing it up because a long, long time ago, <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away, far away. <laughs> uh, when uh, when uh, Jim and Dan set up the show, they set up the lent- the iTunes feed in a very specific way. Like we still do coding guys to update the feed for, for, um, for iTunes. But for some reason, we don't, we don't have the sign in information to get the stats for the Lantern cast anymore. And like, you know, how many people are listening? Uh, how many are downloading each episode? Uh, you know, how many subscribe? You know, that sort of thing. We don't really get those, those stats anymore because we don't have that login information. So. I'm not only telling you there's another option for you to listen to the show. I'm actively encouraging you, if you can, if you have Spotify. I'm not sure if it's uh, if the podcast is, is available on the free version or not. Someone will have to check that out because I obviously I upgraded before I could do a search in the free version. Um, but anyways, uh, if you can 
subscribe or listen to the show specifically in Spotify. If that is something that is easy for you to do and available to you, please do so because Spotify allows for some tracking. So most importantly, that the, the reason we want, not just because we want to know, we also, whenever you do uh, applications for press passes to go into comic conventions, mostly the big ones, but lately, you know, the applications have, even for smaller cons have become a little more uh, intense. Um, some of the questions are involving, you know, how many listeners do you have or how many, you know, uh, subscribers, how many clicks, you know, that sort of a thing, because the show would want to know if we granted you a pass, a press pass, what is this kind of exposure we're getting in return? It's, it's a given, it's a give and take, you know, not everybody willy nilly gets a press pass. They have to kind of weigh their options about the exposure that their event's going to get. So being unable to see those stats on iTunes really puts us at a disadvantage. So if anybody out there, if it's easy for you to listen to the show on Spotify, please do so. Makes sense. Listen to Chad. Uncle Chad wants you. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but there, I just wanted to lead with that at the top of the episode. Uh, in case you didn't care about a Batman-related story and wanted to tune out halfway through. Um, let, let, but, like, uh, like me, perhaps. It remains to be seen. Uh, so, uh, there was some news that dropped today about Green Lantern, huh? Yes, Ch- Chad brought this... Chad brought this one to my attention. Uh, or it was early this evening, right? It was relatively early this evening. Um, yeah. So... It, uh, this article talks about it's about Greg Berlanti and it relates to the Green Lantern uh, TV show that's coming to HBO Max. And I'm just I'm trying to get to the quotes pretty much that and it's the uh, basically the, the highlights of what he's talking about is that that number one we know that is going to focus on but on two on two Green Lanterns would be the focus of the series and it's going to include and it's also going to include Sinestro uh, in some way shape or form. We don't know which way, shape, or form. Just like we don't know which which two Green Lanterns. It kind of makes this article makes it clear that you know they're in the early stages. You know, it's, it's kind of like in the early stages of talking about Green Lantern and everything. So it's there's not it's not like the there's not a lot of concrete stuff that Berlanti either can can share, even if he knows it at this point. And he's basically Berlanti said he did say that the series so far will span several decades and focus on the origin story of two major Green Lanterns from Earth while going into the story in space and Green Lantern favorite character Sinestro. And the majority of it also continues that, you know, which I think we've heard before that Berlanti said that his pitch basically for Green Lantern was that uh, he, you know, he promises this to be the biggest DC show ever. Which on some levels isn't a huge thing to accomplish, considering what they've done. But they, but they, they but some of the, you know, the CW in the Arrowverse short shows anyway have certainly they've kicked it up, you know, they've kicked it up a, a notch at least a little bit. And of course, there's a lot of speculation about which Green Lanterns it's going to be, and the usual suspects are all thrown out there. Even Simon Baz, which is the one you probably can bet the most money against that it's been <laughs> happening. Uh, they even mentioned Alan Scott, who is probably unlike. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we. It would not surprise me if we got an Alan Scott cameo somehow. But I certainly don't think Alan Scott's going to be one of the characters they're going to be focusing on if the whole point is to, the series is supposed to be about the Green Lantern Corps, really. Now, if it's not, 
if it you know if it's not really then I think you have more of an opening for for it's maybe for Allen but it also I think it also depends the X factor in this to me is that we is what's going on with the movie which of course as we all know ha 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 Jeff Johns is supposed to submit that script already and if it's still following the premise of you know the uh, lethal weapon with Hal being uh, Murtaugh and John Stewart being Riggs not necessarily personality wise but based on age and or and or one's a hell of a lot more experienced than the other that it would make sense if Hal would be one of those two maybe if you want if you plan on doing that in the movie so you were already have seen kind of Hal be Hal and then it's easier to but I don't know I I it's it's really it's kind of weird it's like if they're really going to go if they they really want to stick with the rookie stuff then if they really want John Stewart to be raw then probably he wouldn't be one of the two they would pick in the show. Yeah, uh, I'm actually thinking Alan is a little more likely with the added knowledge that this they say this show is uh, is uh, going to be spanning several decades. Um, that uh, that seems like a triggering thing to me, and it can still be correlated if you you know take under the uh, the idea that uh, you know the Guardians created Star- the Starheart and. Yeah. And, you know, they're worried about magic coming loose again or, or whatever. Uh, and, you know, that gives them, you know, something to send the lanterns after or, or whatever. Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of where my mind goes with it. If you're going to involve Alan, but still have it be a space based show. Um, I think Hal is unlikely because of the movie. I think Jon Stewart is unlikely because of the movie. So beyond that, I would probably most look for a Kyle and Jessica sort of a thing. Um, obviously I don't like Simon, don't want him. Um, but, um, you know, they've been talking supposedly on the background. Jessica's been at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. They want to do something with her. Um, so I would assume that she'd be part of it. And I'd also assume, uh, you know, of, of, uh, guy and, and Kyle, I would assume, I would assume Kyle. Um, I guess you could use Guy if you want to use some of the brashness and some of the, you know, uh, veteran member and, and the fighter and, you know, all of that stuff with, a, you know, uh, paired against the sort of, uh, you know, timid, conscious, self-conscious, uh, you know, introvert uh, that Jessica is. So that, you know, that could be a nice pairing. But personally, I'd prefer if, if you're going to do one of the newbies and if you're going to do one of the, Lanterns we've seen before, I'd say Kyle and Jessica. If I had to handicap, I think Simon's very unlikely for a thousand reasons. Um, and he's just not that popular. That's being one of the thousand reasons. I think Guy, unfortunately, is probably not very pop is not very likely either. Guy has completely fallen off the radar screen. So I think that I, I would bet against I would bet against Guy. We've we've heard a lot of stuff about Kyle, so you oftentimes I'm not always you know where there's smoke this fire. So it would make sense on one level, but then but then you got to figure out the, you know the, the mixing. I can see that I agree with you by talking about the several decades thing that open that does increase the odds of of them being able to do Alan. I think that also is a little tricky, though, if if their ultimate goal is to do everything Green Lantern Corps related and start out for something that's not – that's so very un, – unless that's the appeal to them, that it's so very different from what 
most people have associated with the Green Lantern Corps, whether it's the animated show, whether it's even comic books for the most part, that that maybe use that as the gateway to introduce the core as we know by having, you know, a different, basically the flip side of it. Uh, so I don't know. I I think based on their description, it, Alan could be. If they did Alan to Kyle, that I could, I could, I could see that. Obviously, if they're going to span different decades, unless they're going to have two Green Lanterns working together. Like in one of these time periods, then I don't really see how they could do Kyle and Jessica. Um, that doesn't mean Kyle couldn't be in it or Jessica couldn't be in it, but I can't see both of them. I find it hard to believe both of them. You know, if they if, if those are going to be the, two of the lanterns that are going to be covered, you know, in, in their spanning decades kind of thing, I don't see how you could you could do those those two characters. And I mean, you could do it. I could see how you could do it. I mean, I just don't see how why you would do it but i don't know it's tough it is it's tough i would say kyle or jessica i, I would bet on kyle or jessica being one of the two yeah for sure um and uh, i was just reading this today the article came out about four weeks ago but uh when the last issue of doomsday clock which i still haven't read um when that came out, there was an interview on uh, – it might have been comicbook.com or Newsarama or, or whatever. You'll be able to find it. Um, uh, and at the very end of the interview, they asked about like the delays and everything and why. And then towards the end of that, essentially, he started talking about some of his other projects. And one of the very last things Jeff John said was, I hope to be able to like like be allowed to tell you something about the Green Lantern movie soon. So I mean that was four weeks ago. So obviously it's not like you know they're you know anytime soon soon. But uh, uh, evidently you know he's got stuff he wants to say or can uh, or wants to say, but uh, he's not being allowed to at this point. So that would point to some sort of development, uh, some sort of forward momentum. On that project, uh, but then again, it's been in development for so long. We would hope there's something other than just the title and the basic concept uh, at this point. So uh, that's maybe not really news, but you know, I saw it today. Thought I'd bring it up. Do you have that article? Only because I thought I because I thought I read something similar after Doomsday Clock ended. But he was talking about something Green Lantern related, which was com- something tying into Green Lantern, which was like story related, comic book related, not movie related. Uh, something as a that post uh, Dooms, Doomsday Clock. So, I mean, but maybe that was maybe it was just the way it was written or the way I interpreted it. That that's how I, I because when you're talking about it, I'm listening and, and I'm playing it over in my head. I thought I remembered him saying or uh, reading reading something that Jeff John said, but I thought it was in relation to in to, in books, not related to the movie. But you could be right. That could have been what it was, um, or it could have been two different things. So. Uh um, so yeah, so Newsarama, uh, yeah, this is Newsarama. Uh, then to finish up, do you want us, do you want to tell people what you're working on? Any new comics on the horizon? And of course you mentioned your TV and movie projects earlier that you're doing at Mad Ghost Productions. Some exciting things coming up for you. John's it's a really exciting year to have doomsday clock finished up. I'm doing more comics. Star girls trailer is out. Wonder woman, wonder woman's on its way. And a lot of work with Green Lantern outside comics that hopefully you'll hear okay. about okay. soon. Yeah. So probably related to the so. – might be somehow tied to the show too if he's saying 
if he's making because it sounds like it's more than just one project. That's what it kind of sounds True. like. Um, yeah. All right. What's next? I lost my notes, so I don't know what's – oh, Star Wars. That's right, which was if, – if if our recording went better last week, one of the things I was going to joke around with Chad when he made his top five list of movies to see in 2020, I was going to say, well, it's really six because friggin' Rise of Skywalker had to be one of them <laughs> because he hadn't seen it yet. Oh, Jesus. All right, so let's let, let's start, start with the basics. Did you like it? I liked it better than last year. I was just going to say, I wanted to know whether you liked it first without putting tight, using that as a, as the yardstick, because it is a, it is a real easy yardstick to use. Most, I mean, unless somebody was a diehard Last Jedi lover, most people are going to like this movie more than Last Jedi. No, I liked it. Um, so, uh, I like the pacing of it. Well, I both liked and didn't like the pacing of it. I felt like we were bouncing around a whole lot in that film. Uh, and I mean, it, it was done in such a way that I felt like I, di- I didn't, uh, feel like, uh, you know, I was like, okay guys, slow down <laughs> or anything like that, or felt like, uh, any of the scene breaks were unnecessary or unwarranted. I felt like they gave us some, you know, needed information or whatever, or needed characters or, or whatever. Um, and, you know, you, you run into, and I don't, forgive me, you know, uh, Mark will probably ping in with the names as soon as I say, uh, reference the characters, but I don't remember the names, but that, that new girl, uh, on the planet with that mostly wore her mask the whole time. Uh, Bliss, wasn't it? yeah, I think so. So her, uh, you know, you could almost like be like, wait, why did, why do we need this new character? You know, that sort of thing. But, you know, at the same time, Star Wars is always about, like, going new places and meeting new people and, and doing that sort of a thing. So in expanding that universe. So, you know, that was fine. Uh, did it feel a little, you know, out of left field? Like, oh, suddenly this person just shows up. Uh, and there's a, a history alluded to that we're never going to get the information on. Yeah, sure. But at the same time, it was enjoyable. Um, it, But it, I, I on the other foot of that, um, that you could, you could tell that they were like, all right, let's go here. Let's go here. Let's go here. We got to finish this movie. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. Like we got to, now I don't, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like looking at a, a checklist, uh, and, and go and not knowing what the checklists are, but you, you do know that, you, you know, what the actual bullet points are, but you are aware of a checklist, <laughs> and you, you know very clearly, like, we've got to take this off. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Um, so I felt that too. I know it's kind of, I know it's kind of probably dumb, or maybe some people don't like the character. I don't really care. One of my favorite new f- characters is Boba Frick. Everybody, he, he, he's a breakout character in this movie. The, 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 the character that friggin' everybody was afraid was going to be the new Jar Jar, supposedly turned out to be the character everybody loved. <laughs> Uh, C-3PO's oldest friend. Uh, <laughs> no, and, and completely accurate, too, based on that moment in time. Um, the, uh, it, it, like, so much so that I saw the size of him, and then I walked out of the theater going, oh, I need that pop. <laughs> and, like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be very purposeful about the pops I'm collecting now. Uh, and, and, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to get that one Boba Frick, and I'm just going to take it out of the box and I'm going to put it on my desk at work. Like it's not going to be on the shelf with the other ones. I'm not going to make a star Wars shelf or anything like that. 
but like I was like he's like he's made for pop size like because that's realistic that's the real life size <laughs> but um then the news came out that they're the the pop that they were going to do for him is part of the smuggler's bounty box uh, I thought they were I thought they were I thought they were stopping the smuggler's bounty I don't know but the, yeah the smuggler's bounty box is Bubba Frick, uh, and then I think the other one is C-3PO. Uh, but, like, is it when Poe, like, hands him all, like, like Chewie's bowcaster yeah. and the strap and then the bag and all that, and he's just weighted down with all this stuff? Like, it's that it's it's C-3PO, but with all that stuff, and then, you know, the second pop is Bubba Frick, and then there's, like, a shirt and a sticker and all that sort of thing. But I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm investing in a smuggler's bounty box just to get Boba Frick. And then, you know, of course, because it's a smuggler's bounty box and it's exclusive to that, if you try to buy it on the aftermarket, it's going to be more expensive because people are looking for it on the aftermarket, that whole thing. So I just decided, well, that's good. You know, the temptation has gone to get the Boba Frick pop. Um, but more back. But back to the movie. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Um I thought a couple of things were weird, um, especially towards the end. I didn't like the uh, the voice montage. I mean, I get I get that maybe you couldn't have paid for all the characters to be in there, but I just didn't like the sort of staring off into the deepness of space and hearing voices echoing through your mind thing. I would have much rather have seen the visuals. As as, uh, as most people would have. That supposedly was a. I think that was a. Rumor. The rumor is that was another Kathleen Kennedy snip. That was the original intent was for the Jedi. At least, at least the majority of the ones that we, the ones that we really care about. I, I think you were supposed to see like a little, like glimpses of almost all of them, but you were supposed to see, I think, a lot more of like Yoda and Obi Wan and things like that. Uh, but I, I, I agree. I agree with you. It's kind of ridiculous. It was kind of ridiculous, even though it does continue the sad, ironic tradition of, of Liam Neeson never quite actually being a forest ghost in any movie, <laughs> never actually um, making it into it being a ghost. I uh, I uh, also for the same thing. I also would hope they would have added because I've I've made this point before, and by the way, I made this point to my brother-in-law, and he 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 said uh, you know he he had some problems with it, but also saw how it worked or whatever. So. I can see the negatives to this, but I also see the positives. But I've said this before that one of my favorite things about the Force is from that that moment in uh, A New Hope when Alderaan is blown up and in hyperspace you see Ben kind of like hunch over and feel it. And I was like, oh, is it, like it's not like a bunch of Jedi just died. It's just a you know there is now a blank spot. There's a, there's there is a void in this connection to this life web that you have. And you have felt that. Um, and I always like that, which is why and I'm sort of tangent hopping around here, but like why I liked the idea of being able to heal, you know, that, showing that because whether or not that's appeared in cartoons or the or the books or, or whatever, I have never seen it on screen. So when I saw it happen on there, I was like, oh, that makes sense based on what I know about the force in terms of. You know, like Yoda saying, it surrounds us, it's life, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, just sort of this, this connection that all beings have. I was like, okay, well, then healing could make sense to, just to me. On the other hand, I didn't like the passing shit through the force thing. Um, that's probably my main complaint about it. But back to what I was, I, I was saying, because I like that about the force, the, 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 the feeling, when Ray needed 
you know, all of the Jedi past, you would think that maybe some of the people who are force sensitive would have felt that. And you could have cut to scenes like Maz Kanata, like closing her eyes and concentrating. Uh, Finn, who's apparently force sensitive, closing his eyes, concentrating. You know, people like kind of feeling the call, feeling the need to sort of lend her their strength sort of thing. I, again, I see the problems with that, but I also kind of like, you know, the, the potential that that has. So. There was that opportunity for that Baby Yoda cameo, whatever, wherever, wherever he ended up. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I have yet. I was supposed to see it that third time right after Ryan and I recorded, but it didn't. It didn't work out. So as we speak, I have not seen it a third time. I do want to see it a third time. Uh, I doubt it's going to change my opinion. I like it. It is. For, it is, when you look at it from a plot perspective, it is very, very flawed. It is inherently flawed on multiple levels. The pacing is flawed mostly because J.J. – in a way, we kind of got a glimpse of what J.J. would have done if he had gotten all three movies. Because we essentially got his really abridged – his Evelyn Wood speed reading course abridged version of Episode Eight jammed into an Episode Nine because he had to do some things because literally Episode Eight really left you – no lot, no clear cut way to go. So he had to, he had to like give you a little bit of an eight inside, and then give you and give you a nine. So the pace, the pacing didn't bother me. I I was concerned about it because because I know what I read. Oh, people said it jumped here and it jumped there, and you know MacGuffin here, MacGuffin there. I didn't have an issue with the. I didn't have an issue, but some things happened too quick. Like oh, they they did that clever little visual. Ju- visual to make you think that Chewie was dead. But then they don't even let that they don't even let that simmer for more than like five minutes and you find out Chewie's not dead. <laughs> so it completely lessens it's, it's the impact. Uh I don't I'm not a huge fan of the of the force sharing thing too, but obviously that's supposed to be the unique dyad connection that they had. So at least they tried to give you whether it's believable or not, they tried to give you an explanation. Some of the big flaws in this is like not telling you how Palpatine survived and came back survived slash came back in the movie is a major flaw. Which is just as inherent a flaw as in The Force Awakens where JJ doesn't tell you what the hell happened that, the, that there's a first order to begin with. You know, last time we saw things were looking pretty good. Everybody was all happy, Ewoks were beating on stormtroopers helmets. We won, things were looking good. We found out the universe went to shit, but we don't have any explanation for how in the movie. It's like, wow, this completely just shit on everything we just saw, and we don't get an explanation for how was the First Order here? Did the war never stop? You know, did the war never stop when the First Order basically have, has everything switched around, and basically the Empire is now the rebellion fighting against the government in power, and they've and they've been basically been fighting the you know the the New Republic ever since you know the Republic took took control, or how did the first order rise to power and how did they get so how did they get so you know so much power and of course we have the whole snoke thing too which we never which jj probably would have given us an explanation about snoke legitimately if you know if ryan johnson hadn't completely torpedoed all that i mean you get as close to one as you're going to get in that film in rise of skywalker when you see snoke in a jar yeah, so but but it does, it still it gives it makes it clear Snoke was a puppet of Palpatine, but it doesn't make it clear 
how and why and how everything happened and why is he so like who 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 the original source DNA is? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, there, yeah. there are just so many. There are just so many things, and even I mean, supposedly whether it's because again, there's so there's so many things about this movie. It's hard to know what to believe. I mean, there was one. We heard for a long time before the movie came out that there were lots of scenes of Luke and Palpatine that got cut. And then the, the latest thing, which might be just be a spin, because to me it sounds like a spin, that, oh, you know, Palp, you know, Palpatine, everything that you shot pretty much with Ian McDermott made it its way into the movie. And, and it wasn't until they did the reshoots late in the game that you got the whole Luke Skywalker catching the lightsaber on Oct 2. Uh, that basically he wasn't in the movie at all up until that point. So I don't know. It seems like that part makes me feel like it's spin. Because there's a they, they caught a lot of heat, especially about Luke not being in the movie much, trying to make it sound like, well, yeah, you should be happy because before we made those changes, he wasn't in it at all. I know. I think there's a lot, lots of things, lots of things thrown together. You got the whole idea that, like I said, I joked around with Ryan the whole idea that I guess I guess using force lightning is when you is is, is the equivalent of of taking a pee that once you start, you can't stop till you're done. Because why wouldn't Palpatine just stop when the lightning's being shot back at him? Now you could talk about Revenge of the Sith, but he kind of, but he essentially was doing that for a reason in Revenge of the Sith. He was trying, he was doing that, I think, to 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 to, to play up the fact that he was weak and that he needed Anakin's help. This was just plain stupid. It was being shot back at him. Why would you just not stop sh- shooting the lightning at her? <laughs> but I'm glad. I mean, the the, the way they handle the one thing, like I mentioned. This is the only movie that I liked Kylo Ren in. This was the best Kylo Ren movie of the three. He's the most balanced he's been, which is kind of ironic because he ends up turning back to the to the light. But he is the most he is the most even tempered. He is sing, single minded and really what he wants. It's the most menacing he's been. Yes, this is and and at the same time they give him a redemption story. Or the way they go about the redemption, especially since they tied into Leia, so you don't know how much Leia influenced his. Because obviously they, it was clever how they made sure Leia, even though she was dead, she didn't fade away until Ben died. So that doesn't quite explain why. Well, actually, that would it could explain why why Ray. Well, we, I don't even go into that fading away shit because they completely butchered how the logic if if there if there yeah. is any in that, but. The way that they made his redemption believable in a way that I didn't think – or and that I cared about it in a way that I I never thought that I would because the original ending from everything you've read was once he got thrown down that shaft, that was going to be it. That was supposed to be the end of Kylo Ren. All that stuff about him coming out coming out and saving her and, and them kissing and stuff, though depending how you – what you hear, it may not have been a, a pure reshoots. They may have just been re-edits. But that was not the that was not the ending that was put in the movie like maybe like even two or three months before it was released. It was just that Kylo got dropped down the, the pit and he died. Now, but if I haven't read this, but supposedly in, in the Kylo Ren com, one of the Kylo Ren comic books with Snoke training him, Snoke dropped him down a pit, and and Kylo ended up making it was able to survive and make his way out. So there is a little precedent based on backstory. Yeah, I I, I listened to your episode. Yeah. So I think yeah. I think there is some of that. So I think what they did I th- I think what they did with that made sense. So I kind of I did like that part. They could have I didn't mean I didn't mind the kiss all that much. I just thought you know taking 
taking Ray, taking Ray Skywalker, eh, I think that's kind of stupid. I think it's still kind of stupid. I don't know why. Again, I mentioned, I did mention that in with Ryan. I don't know why they couldn't have just had all had Anakin, Leia, Luke, and Ben all on Tatooine when when she she saw that vision. Then it might even make even more sense that she's taking the name. That she's taking the name. Uh, I liked it. I I I don't know my. It's fresh, so it's hard to say. My natural temptation is to say I think this might be the one of the, the, these three these three movies that I will I will like the most, and and I will probably not get disappointed in over time. But I definitely want to. I'm definitely going to buy this one. I might hold off to see what the box set looks like, either the trilogy or I'm probably not going to blow it up another more on another complete Star Wars box set. But I might get a trilogy if, depending on the special features. But I, de- I, uh, I definitely want to read the book, the novelization. This, the novelization for this one probably would be pretty interesting. Sorry. I, uh, I uh, just the two things I didn't like was the number one was passing stuff through the force. Really didn't like that. That's probably my my number one nitpick. And the uh, and number two was uh, didn't really mention it. And you talked about it a lot in your your episode, but so we don't even have to really go deep into it. But like. Uh, uh, C-3PO getting his memory back sort of just kind of made that whole point, that whole thing pointless. Yep. Um, so I just, you know, that, that sort of sacrifice and that one last look and, uh, it, it just sort of lessened that moment. Um, so I, I didn't like that. And then if I had to choose a number three, it would be the, the, the missed opportunity of, you know, people lending their powers to Ray or sh- actually showing the force, uh, Jedi, the, the Jedi ghosts and, all that other stuff rather than just kind of the voice montage. But yeah, that other than that, I thought it was an enjoyable and an enjoyable film. I just, it's just, they're wrapping up this saga, uh, this last, you know, this, this, this third part of this, this, uh, this, this trilogy of trilogies, uh, you know, you know, was wrought, fraught with a lot of flaws and issues and production and, and where we're going and all of that stuff. So I thought, given all those perils and, and, and footfalls and stuff like that, it's uh, it was as good as it could have been. <laughs> I thought, uh, uh, based on what uh, what they had to work with. I still, I don't know if I'll go as far as to say it's as good as it could have been, but considering the mess he inherited, and I think it's. It's it's better than probably we had any right to expect it was going to be. <laughs> I think yeah. I think we knew it. W- I think we knew this was swimming upstream to its you know to the umpteenth level. So I think that the fact that he was able to do what he did, and I mean I I don't I. I don't. I still. There's tons of flaws in it, and I, the you know the space battle at the end was pretty was kind of lame for a Star Wars space battle. The whole idea that the friggin' all those all those star destroyers are like you know are like all oh, they're all like uh, waiting for clearance to take off at an airport because the, because the first one can't take. Out, I mean I don't know. That that was kind of a little too. That was asking a bit much, and Palpatine getting completely recharged and then getting beaten so easily. That was. There, there were there were some there were there were cool things there. I think it it, it could have been cooler, but I guess it based on so much of what was being said about this movie before it came out that it certainly was far from the the horrible train wreck that I think a lot of people expected. So while that's kind of like you know a a backhanded compliment, the the, re, the reality is that 
I still I still enjoyed it. For sure. All right, what's next? Next, we're going to do the Morbius trailer, which is kind of interesting since we just talked about this last week ever so briefly in the middle of the road list, which, of course, the majority of the movies have to be in the middle of the road list. Uh, but I, I did mention that I was interested in this movie, and and this trailer, you know, right on cue, comes out and certainly seems is certainly is generating a lot of buzz. So that's that's nothing but a plus for Sony. Yeah, so we are on the Sony Pictures Entertainment YouTube page. Um, I'm at the five second mark. Uh, yeah, I'm at the six. So I was um, before, but I started playing it. And I didn't get it. Couldn't get it back to the six. <laughs> so we'll go ahead and uh, watch this right now. Michael, I've known you since you were a child. Please! You have a gift. You always have. If there's an answer to your disease, you'll find it. I should have died years ago. Why am I still here if not to fix this? I have a rare blood disease and I'm running out of time. This could be my last chance. You're up to something. What is it? That's not exactly legal. I don't want to see you get hurt more than you already have. This would be a cure. At what cost? trailer had come out before we did last week's episode that would morbius would have been in my top five then <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know if it would would I, I don't know if i would have changed my list or if it would have made it or not but it definitely would have been at, at least at the top of my uh you know middle of the road list um 
you know, kind of a close, close number six or, or whatever. But, um, I, I liked it. I, I think I, I like the trailer more than I thought I would when I heard Jared Leto's playing Morbius. Um, and I was just like, I'm probably not going to enjoy that film when I heard that. But the, I mean, this, this seems really, really cool, really enjoyable. I think the people who are critiquing it, like, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to base, I'm not, basically, I'm not going to pull a venom. I'm not going to sit here and say, and staunchly defend this film and, and say, you watch, it's going to outperform sort of a thing. And I'm not going to, you know, dance <laughs> on people's <laughs> grave of being wrong uh, when uh, when when it comes out. But I'm going to say that this film is going to perform better than people seem to think it's going to. The, the, at least its haters seem to think it's going to. Because not only do you have the Marvel audience who's going to go see this, you're also going to have the people who are knowledgeable enough to go, oh, this is like kind of connected to the the venom verse that Sony's building. So they're going to go see it out of that curiosity. You're going to have the people who just kind of like the darkness and, and that sort of a thing. They're going to go see it. You're going to have the Jared Leto fans go see it. And another sort of genre to think about vampires. I'm sorry there, but there's, there's a whole quotient of, of people out there who go see stuff just because there's vampires involved. Um, I'm a huge vampire fan mostly because of Anne Rice and, and her, you know, vampire chronicles. Um, so, uh, you know, and I was drawn to movies like Underworld and all these other things. So, like, there are these pieces and these uh, either characters or tonals or other connections it has to a bunch of various other things that people just aren't considering when considering the possible box office success of this film in terms of the audience that it could reach. That makes me think it's going to be a bigger movie than its critics that it already has, supposedly, uh, seem to think that it's going to. Speaking solely to that trailer, I enjoyed it. I thought it looked cool. Um, I forgot, what the hell is his name? Uh, what, what's the older guy's name that's talking to him a couple of, oh, like, yeah, the, the actor? Yeah, I forget. Oh, yes. Give me a second, I'll find it. You, you, keep, you, keep, you keep talking, I'll get it. Uh, so he was in. Um, I know him most, most from um, Jared Harris. Yes, Jared Harris. I know him most from Fringe, and I love the hell out of Fringe. And he played a really cool character in that, and he's just uh, like a really menacing character. Uh, so I really enjoyed the hell out of uh, out of that, and I'm looking forward. He may have little involvement. Uh, it seems like based on this. He's going to have bigger involvement than we seem to think. Wasn't he in like one of the Sherlock films too? He might have been. Let's see if I can. Let's see if I can pull up his bio. Um, yes, he was Steve Game of Shadows. Oh yeah, yeah. He was Mo- okay, was he Moriarty? Might have been. Um, but but yeah, I, I just uh, I know him. Like I said, I know him most from Fringe. I really enjoy him in that. This looks just like straight up, uh, you know, it, you could almost just forgive it for, you know, for, for, forgive the Marvel stuff and just say it's a straight up vampire flick. Uh, it's, it's cool. I liked it. Uh, I like the, I like the darkness. I like the visuals. I liked, uh, Jared Harris. I like, uh, you know, uh, Jared Leto in this, whether he's like amazing or not, uh, who knows, but it looks and like enjoyable Jared Leto at, at the very least. We'll see if that comes to fruition or not. Um, but, man, I'm, I'm here for it. It's funny you mention Venom because, in all honesty, no pun intended here, this this trailer is like the anti-Venom. 
when it comes to the f- teaser trailer, even though this is more of a full trailer. It's maybe it may be called a teaser trailer, but based on the length, it essentially is a it is a first. Tra- right. It is a really a full sh- first trailer. Be- and since they do get since they are giving you some of the plot of the movie, I get. But technically, they called it a teaser because the first trailer released is always called a teaser. Uh, but it's the complete opposite of Venom. We all know the first trailer for Venom did not go over well. I know you defended it, and that's and the movie turned out okay. The trailer still was a bad trailer. It didn't. It did not accomplish what a trailer is supposed to do, which is pique your interest, either to let you know this movie's coming and to make you want to see it, whether you knew it was coming or not. That's the second part, is to make you want to go see it or make you want to see it more, even if you had a little bit of interest in it. It's supposed to move the needle on those levels. The original Venom trailer didn't do that. It made people go, "Okay, this, I'm not sure about this." Most people had, while most while most people were more excited, clearly for a Venom movie conceptually than a Morbius movie, but this trailer did. This trailer is better than any. This is like a, this is from an impact perspective. This is kind of what the Star Wars teaser trailer should have been. It should have had that kind of impact. Should have been that cool. This, that's that's what a good trailer can do for you. This trailer is getting a, and some have questioned about you know what people are talking about because of this trailer that they may be talking about the wrong things because of the ties into to, uh, the Sonyverse that they're building. But the reality is people are still talking about the movie, and people are not just talking about that. People are saying, hey, look, you know, it looks very, it has a cool look to it. It has a cool look to it. The cast looks interesting. Yes, having you know having the tie. Having to tie into Spider-Man with you know when he's walking out you know in the alley or whatever, and you got murderer written across the Spider-Man poster, which clearly is you know logically is a is a follow-up to where we last saw Spider-Man at the end of Far From Home being being revealed quote unquote to be the killer of Mysterio. Uh, to have Michael Keaton show up as you know an Adrian Toomes, uh, which we there's no logical reason to think he's not he's anybody else but Adrian Toomes because that would be horribly bad judgment on uh, Sony's part to put Michael Keaton into into a another Spider Spider-Man universe movie and and have him play somebody else but but just just to but throw him in there just to throw people off the track that would that would backfire on them big time so clearly they're trying to establish they're clearly establishing that in that Spider-Man exists in this. In this Sony verse, so it's just and of course the the dream the the dream we all dream of at least from Sony you know from Sony Spider-Man people has been the Sinister Six for like forever, so it seems like this is yet another step. Even though it's it would be hodgepodge since Morbius wasn't really a uh, in this, but still the idea that they're they're connecting these you know potential Spider-Man villains villains together. What, we, what would be interesting, though? They, even though, in all honesty, Michael Keaton probably is in the movie for, for like two seconds. He's probably in the movie for like thirty seconds, either at the end or like in a credit scene. If I had to bet money, I don't think he's actually in the movie in, in any capacity. I think he's going to have one or two scenes, or just being in a post-credit scene. But it would be interesting if they if they if they can even address. Because some people have said, you know, he looks really good considering how many years it's been since he's been in jail. Considering we remember everything's been sped up. You're like eight. Years out, you know, so many years down the road now since uh, since ho- uh, homecoming because of the blip and everything else. But some people have pointed out, well, for all we know, he could have been one of the people that was snapped out of existence and then brought back. Uh, it just it would be interesting if there's if there's 
if they need oops, if they needed to address that, whether they you know based on their on their arrangement, whether Sony could even or whether it just have to be a language thing, how they could how they could address that. But I think it's cool. I think I think that Michael Keaton reveal was was great. I mean that was a, that just took everybody by surprise, and that's. And I just I also don't understand why people get confused. It's like, does that mean that the MCU is absolutely? T- it's like, it's pretty straightforward. At the end of the day, Sony owns the Vulture, Sony owns Spider-Man, Sony owns Venom. They can do, they can have these characters show up in their own movies anytime they want. <laughs> they could all be in the same universe. That's not that's not an issue. It's not, and the casting isn't an issue because even though Michael Keaton, wait, well, Holland is the one the best the best one to go with. Even though Holland was pretty much Marvel helped cast him, but at the end of the day, his contract is really with Sony. He doesn't work for Marvel. He works for Sony, and Michael Keaton's the same way. He really works for Sony, even when they did Homecoming. He works for Sony, <laughs> so if he's gonna, so he can play that. If any time Sony wants him to play that character again, if he wants to, there's no conflict there. Clearly, what they're trying to do is they're making it clear that there's ties. Which we you know, which we kind of knew of. It almost was almost was inevitable that was going to happen anyway, because it would be weird for Sony to for that one character to exist in somebody else's universe, but not to acknowledge that those things also have occurred, you know, in his in our universe, and our this is our character to use that we're going to use on our own at some point, too. I think it's I, I'm much more pumped pumped for it now. Uh, I I don't think it'll be it, I don't think it'll be a massive hit. But I think there's a decent decent chance to believe it could have a pretty good it could do a pretty good uh, have a pretty good run. I think it also comes down to how much you know how much money it costs and everything else. That's always the that's always the kiss of death on these things to find you know if your production if your production budget is you know super high then that can sink that can sink a lot of things. But it's, I think it certainly has more potential now, and having a really solid first trailer never hurts. For sure. All right. Last but not least, even though see we could have just made this one episode. <laughs> and we uh, last but not least, it's really technically not a second trailer. It's it's a uh, special look. The Marvel Studios Black Widow special look which premiered by Monday night on the National Championship game college football. So, I'm at the 1 second mark. Yeah, I'm at 0. So, all right, let's go ahead and watch this special look. Natasha, my sister. After all this time, what brings you home? I'm on the run. I was trying to do something good. Be more than just a trained killer. You're fooling yourself. We are still both train killers. We have unfinished business. Who's we? Still fits, hmm? Family. Back together again. You got fat. There's a new world of widows. New enemies. I'm done running from my past.
hell is that guy? Slightly more interesting than the first trailer. Yeah, so you know what I think, actually? And it kind of takes a turn halfway through this particular trailer. Um, But, like... So a lot of people are like, okay, spy movie. But there are lots of types of spy movies. I think this looks like a, you know, a, a more modern, like born, so, like look, born. Yes, yes, that looks like born. Uh, not the second half of the trailer doesn't, but the first half for sure does. Like they're on the run, people are chasing them. They're highly trained, you know. They're evading them in really badass fight scenes. Like, and I was feeling that all the way up, and then you get to the point where her and her sister are on that motorcycle, and they take that spin down that alley, and it's like a car chase sort of a sequence. I'm like, oh, that's totally boring. But then you get to, like, the second half of the trailer where there's massive explosions and, you know, crane shots and, like, all that sort of thing, and that feels more Bond. So, like, it, it, it feels like a born slash Bond thing. I know what a lot of people are hoping for. I'm actually hoping it's more born than Bond. I think by the nature of it being a Marvel movie, it almost has to be more. On some levels, it's a combination, yes, because I actually thought you were going to say you know, the second half of the trailer, you know, was was more Marvel. But so I, I'm I don't want to contradict myself. What I mean is that I think the nature of the way some of these characters behave in the Marvel universe, especially the ones that aren't super powered up, seem to be much more born like because they're capable of doing a lot more things real. A lot more things that they realistic, realistically probably should be able to, considering they don't have they don't have superpowers. But if you're looking at it being over the top, loud, and maybe just and some outrageousness uh, and and stunts and sets and things like that, that does tend to be Marvel does tend to do a lot of that, and that can be construed as being Bond-like because uh, sometimes. A, ba- a quote-unquote bad Bond movie can really be incredibly over-the-top and makes it kind of like, oh, okay. Could be- it, 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 like, if you remember, like, if you remember the Bourne movies, none of them really had, like, like they, they made sure all, this, all, all the effects were practical. If a car crashed, it didn't matter if it got a ding on it. It didn't, like, explode into a ball of fire. Like, a car would just crash. Like, that's just, that's just what would happen. There were never, like, these big cinematic explosions and crazy high intense octane action sequences and you know massive shots or anything it was just like real raw down-to-earth gritty fighting hand-to-hand combat and if a car crashed it just got banged up it didn't explode into a you know a massive ball and a ball of fire i actually remember watching one of this the after you know one of the like dvd extra features i can't remember what born movie uh it was but uh it doesn't really matter since they're all filmed mostly the same way um but like I remember that being something that they actually made a point of doing, like keeping that realism in there. Yes, I think I I think that's one of, one of the dif- one of the differences, obviously. Besides, well, even though once they brought Daniel Craig in, they kind of they kind of did copy some of the Bourne stuff. To be fair, I think uh, yeah. his his version of Bond is a little more you know parkour, kind of a little more. Uh, n- a little, yeah, a little more agile and things like that than pretty much the bonds that we've gotten before. So a lot, some of that was probably lifted, lifted from Born. But they did. But at least with Born, yes, they tried. They tried to make it in a way. They, it's almost like they said, well, okay, if James Bond were real, you know, really super, super trained, almost, almost like a, like a Daredevil kind of thing, trained to your or Batman, trained to your physical, you know, 
limits. To, you're apt to be absolutely physically perfect and reflexes as refined as they can be. What could what would it look like, and what could you do? And I think that's almost what like the Bourne movies were. So, I, and I think that that is why I think it is applicable to how we're supposed to believe. Uh, Black Widow was how she was able to do some of the things she was. Obviously, the whole Black Widow program, the Black Widow Corps. I love Florence Pugh. I'm really glad. I was once I heard that, when, even when I first heard that she was like, like getting down to the nitty gritty of possibly getting getting a role in this movie. I was really happy uh, that she got this role, and hopefully she'll be. Con- and I'm sure she'll be. Well, I'm not sure, but I'm hoping. Because it would make sense for her to continue going forward, since we all know that we're not going to have our Black Widow going forward in current continuity anytime soon. I thought the trailer was good. We obviously got more a Taskmaster, who still, I still, that that armor still looks feminine to me. Something about the facial design of that armor looks like still strikes me as a little feminine. Um, so we'll see how Taskmaster actually plays out on 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 the screen. I did like the fact that you got to see almost everybody wearing their white uniforms, not just. So that 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 that'll be kind of cool because we're so used to seeing we're so used to seeing the you know the black uniforms, which makes sense, but the the white uniforms look pretty cool too. I don't know how much this amps me. I think the first trailer did a good job at, at least whetting my appetite. I think this trailer was slightly better. I mean, this first look, this could be accurate. I think it was slightly better. It still doesn't make me think, you know, this is a sl- it's a slam dunk. But I think they I think they upped the ante a little bit, and I think it probably maybe maybe eases a little bit of the for people who had a little doubt. Maybe I think having the, the trailer in this first look maybe kind of like reinforces and reassures people that hey, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely looking forward to it though. All right. On to the topic at hand. Good night, everybody. <laughs> uh, we are talking Batman Universe. So, like I said, originally published in the uh, uh, Batman comics that were exclusive to Walmart, uh, and then they were made into their own individual issues, a six-issue miniseries, uh, written by Bendis with uh, art by uh, Nick uh, Nick Darrington. Uh, and uh, Mark's going to take the odds. I'm going to take the evens. We're going to make this as quick of a recap as we can. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's uh, jump into it. So our goal, like, like Chad said, our goal is to make – I don't want to make it sound like we're like – we're at least I'm when I'm doing it, and I think Chad will feel the same way. We don't want to, like, short, you know, short this thing and just make it sound like, oh, just treat it – it's like, oh, you don't need to know this. It's just that essentially the story is – the story is not overly complicated. I mean, considering all the things that happened in it, it really isn't overly complicated to explain. So that's why I think we're going to try to just touch on the the main points. And uh, so the first the first issue begins. Bat- Batman is Batman basically is being sent thanks to the Riddler. He's at, he's on another Riddler quest. And I do like the opening banter between. Now this part I do like, Chad. I do like the banter between Alfred and and Batman, which has some humor in it. And you get. At, you get Alfred open admiration for the Riddler and things like that, but but this but the, the but the riddle seems really simple and there's you know they're, they're easy they're e- it's he's so easily tracked to a public place and they're, they're both trying to figure out you know this is like like a, this is like really below beneath this guy what's going on so Batman gets there and basically in you know there's like a, like a whole room full of jokers and pretty much like 
They were Riddlers. What? Oh yes, I, I I knew I was gonna do that. I knew I was gonna do that. A whole room full of whole room full of Riddlers. That and they both have they both wear green. Uh, have green on them. Uh, the, it's a whole room full of Riddlers, mostly all stunt men and stuff that were hired. And Batman's trying to get to the real Edward Nigma there that he kind of sees, and he basically he has to, has to fight his way all the way through all these guys, uh, trying to find get his way to Edward. Uh, Edward basically was stealing this 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 uh, Faberge egg, this really expensive and rare Faberge egg. But we also find out that this Faberge egg is not exactly what it seems to be because it, it has a uh, is unique radiation in it and it causes strange effects on people, including a bat. You know, at one moment, Batman ends up you know blacking out when he sees these strange lights approaching him. He, the egg emanates, the radiation emanates from from the black egg. From the egg, Batman wakes up. The Riddler's gone. Every and then he's he's pretty much trying. Then he then he finds out that was what Jonah was it his great granddaughter or great great granddaughter? I don't know how many greats, but uh, it, it, it's a it's fact, a descendant fun, it's, it's a descendant of Jonah Hex who basically ha- fun fun fact. Guess what town he's in? Oh, I just let's see. I, I'm, I'm actually it doesn't say it doesn't say. Oh, you, did you look it up? No, uh, it, because it's one of the first panels in the first issue of Young Justice, because Jenny is a part of Young Justice, the, the new series. Oh, okay. Uh, she is from Dripping Springs, Texas, which is the town I grew up in. Uh, that's sweet. <laughs> that, like, I, I, I was Even born with that Austin. horrible name, it sounds like you need some penicillin shot or something. But I was, I, was, I was born in Austin, Texas at St. David's off of 35. But uh, but Dripping Springs is like 20, 30 miles outside of Austin. That's where I went to elementary school through senior year high school. That's that's the that's the town I grew up in. And when I say town, I mean a town, a little town. So I never thought I'd see fucking Dripping Springs in comics, let alone in DC comics. <laughs> Still better than oozing sores, Alabama, Chad. <laughs> um, so. So Batman shows up looking for Ginny Hex because he wants to find out what's what's the deal with this egg because it's worth it's worth so much and basically she just she just donated it and trying to find out the you know the origin of it and and, and what's the what's the backstory uh, now we're in, in Amsterdam you know we cut to Amsterdam where the where the Riddler's there and the Riddler is uh basically but it's the Riddler seemingly is getting close to where he got hired to do this. He's basically being put a force to do this, to get this egg, and, we're, and it's all building towards the reveal of who did it. So Batman shows up look, looking for, looking for him, and of course, as he, he finds him, but of course Deathstroke is there, and Deathstroke and ba- starts protecting Batman. I mean, fighting Batman, and Edward tries to skip skip out. Uh, just pr- while during the fight. Deathstroke kind of has the upper hand, and then all of a sudden he gets hit with this with this gas arrow, and he passes out. And it turns out, hey, guess who showed up? Green Arrow. And it's like, hey, bats, you're welcome. And it's like, uh, and meanwhile, Edward's just sitting there with blood pouring off his face, which I kind of like. And it's like, uh, um, so we're gonna we're gonna hop back and forth between these issues, doing the recap, and then we'll talk about the the series proper. Um, so uh, we pick up right where we left off in issue two. Uh, blood is pouring from Riddler's nose and mouth, uh, but he starts a riddle, uh, and uh, he says, riddle me, and he coughs up some blood. 
uh, and Green Arrow goes, oh, okay, here we go. And I'm not going to be doing this the whole time, but uh, Batman goes, let the Riddler be the Riddler, Arrow. He works hard on these. <laughs> Riddler goes, the man who invented it doesn't want it. The man who bought it doesn't need it. And then Batman picks up and he goes, and the man who doesn't, uh, who needs it doesn't know it yet. It's a coffin. Edward, that's one of your earliest riddles. And Arrow goes, and it's entirely terrible. And Batman goes, you're embarrassing yourself in front of Green Arrow. Are you feeling all right? <laughs> that's like that Tony Stark moment. It's like, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. <laughs> Uh, so the Riddler kind of freaks out. He's got a box. He's holding it. Um, then uh, the – I forget where they are. I was going to say the GCPD, but it's just the police show up, uh, interfere with things. They uh, Both Arrow and, uh, uh, and Batman throw some smoke bombs to get out of there. They follow some riddles uh, uh, to get up to the roof where Riddler is. They take him down. Uh, they grab the box. Arrow opens the box, but shoots some uh, some gas in his face. He goes nuts, starts fighting against Batman. Batman, uh, you know, finally gets his uh, inoculant, the antidote, and gives it to Green Arrow. After shocking him, he calms down. Uh, they get into the Batcopter. Meanwhile, uh, Riddler walks up to a shadowy figure and hands him this fan Fabergé egg, and we see it is Vandal Savage. Um, then back in the Batcave, we see Batman doing some research. Uh, you know, the Fabergé egg was emitting a unique, uncatalogued radiation, um, uh, and you know, kind of what's going on there, how it affects the brain scan uh, and, and things like that. They think it's a, there's a radiation and maybe that's affecting uh, Riddler. Batman uh, suits up uh, and flies over to uh, Gorilla City because they have tracked Riddler there. Uh, there he's trying to quietly infiltrate the city. It doesn't go very well because uh, he's it comes across. Uh, platoon of, of Gorilla City uh, soldiers, one of whom says, can we help you? And another of whom goes, oh, cool, it's Batman. <laughs> uh, and he goes to see uh, King Nam Namdi to uh, find the Riddler, and I'm just passing through. I just want to hunt down this, this criminal. Uh, they go do so. He's in the vault. He's passed out. There's a... Uh, a um, a note on it that says, sorry for the confusion. I will catch you up on all this at the next meeting. Get the egg to the Hall of Justice Science Lab immediately. Signed K, supposedly from Superman. All of a sudden, uh, he the um, Fabergé egg lights up. Uh, everything goes uh, sort of negative film. And when he comes to, he is in Hawkworld. Uh, wait, well... Thanagar, we should say it's 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 Thanagar because Hawkworld and Thanagar are two different things. So it's it's Thanagar, and uh, on to the next issue. Yes, yes, yes. It's, I have it open. I just lost it. Give me a second. Do, no worries. Do, 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 do. Number three. <laughs> this is number. That's number five. Ah, uh, there we go. And for now the I got record, it. I 
the writer and the artist at the beginning. Uh, my, Brian and Michael Bendis is the writer. Nick Darrington is the artist and cover. Dave Stewart is the colorist. Carlos M. Uh, Mangual is the letterer. Brittany Halsher is the associate editor. Jamie S. Rich is the editor. And, of course, Batman created by Bob came with Bill Finger. So we pick up where we're – not immediately where we left off because it looked like it was daylight when Batman arrived on Thanagar. But now he, when he's waking up, it's in the evening. Uh, and he's, he's inter- Batman's being interrogated. And this, this is one part I actually – find. Because it's Green Lantern related, I actually appreciate this part. That Batman's trying to, you know, he's trying to explain who he is, and you can trust me. In the meantime, they're telling him, "Take your armor off." <laughs> Basically, they're trying to get Batman to strip down to his skivvies here, uh, take his helmet off, take everything off, and he keeps saying, "You know, I'm, it's like, because uh, like uh, Carter Hall's like, yeah, it's like uh, Jahira Thaw's like, he's dropping all the, all the Hawk people's names he can drop, which have, which really have very little effect." And then all of a sudden he comes down to the fact that hey it's like you it's like it's like you're, you're Batman right it's like ju- like you were born on Earth it's like you know Hal Jordan it's like <laughs> it's like oh okay you're good <laughs> that that's the that's the that's the part that made me laugh the most it's like oh you were also compatriots with Hal Jordan the Green Lantern of your sector it's like I am let this human go <laughs> now the old now the old Bruce Wayne would have just like. You could just imagine the look on his face if he got if, if good fortune happened because of his relationship with Hal. Uh, so Batman, Batman continues his you know he, he tries continually explaining you know what's going on that he has no, he you know he didn't get to come to Thanagar on his own. There's no real you know he wants he needs to get back to needs to get back to Earth. You can need to tell it you know all all the stuff, and they end up having it to deal with uh, what's. Where are we here? I just there we go. Uh, the Sin Eater. That and and I like the fact that uh, they expect Batman to fly with his cow, with his cow. It's like it's like you know, it's like they start taking off and flying as as they're ready, getting ready to deal with the situation. And Batman's like, I can't fly. It's like it's it's for effect. <laughs> and they basically give him some. I do like I do like the like the Hawkman like bat bat wings that they give him. In his, in, his, in his little harness. Uh, so, bef- so while this fight's going on, all of a sudden, you know, the everything goes negative again. Oh, and Batman gets sent back to Gorilla City, and we find out that Gorilla City is like the, the whole place is a wreck now. Everything's everything's destroyed, and uh, he talk and basically we find out that you know Vandal Savage showed up, and Vandal Savage Vandal Savage took the egg, and uh, Batman ends up back at the just you know he ends up back at the at, at the Justice League headquarters, and Cyborg and Hal Jordan are talking to him to trying to trying to figure out what's going on, to to get more details. And Hal talks you know and, and Hal's kind of confused about uh when Batman tells him about you know I was you know it's like one minute I was here <laughs> the next minute I was there, and we they talk. During this discussions, we talk about you know the uh, uncatalogued radiation that comes from the Fabergé egg, and Cyborg says you know it was all over you, it's unregistered, even in the earliest editions of the Galactic. It's it's a new energy. Congrats, you get to name it after yourself. And Hal continues to press him. It's like you know, so a slingshot wormhole is exactly what it sounds like, and and they question whether you know Batman really should be able to do anything or be up to do anything, considering everything he went through. But you know, Batman is a—it's uh, Batman, so he's going to continue to do what to do what he needs to do. 
in pursuit of Vandal Savage and the egg, so they end up on on, Dinos- on Dinosaur Island, which is, uh, as Hal says, as they both talk amongst themselves here about they both how they both appreciate dinosaurs until, of course, they get attacked by dinosaurs. And at the end of the day, you know, they're trying to, to the goal is to you know to try to take out the dinosaurs without really hurting the dinosaurs. I like the little King Kong versus Godzilla almost image when, when Hal creates the gorilla. <laughs> Hal tries to put a tyrannosaur in a chokehold. Yes, he has, his, he, has his, he has his. Well, he's got no arms. It actually would be should be a quite effective thing. He's got teeny tiny arms. He creates this giant gorilla construct that puts uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex like yeah in a, in a headlock. So it's 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 quite a funny visual, but it actually makes sense. And and Batman's fighting a Triceratops and all this stuff, and they. And after they get done dealing with the, after they they get done moving past the dinosaurs, they end up finding a cave where they see Vandal Savage looking at the Faberge egg, and Faber and he and he kind of acts like, oh man, it's like a, I can't figure this out. It's like a, and Batman is like, oh, he doesn't know how to use it, and Hal's like, oh, you know, it wasn't his. It's like, uh, do we grab it and go? And it's like, can I get like one good swing on it? Because <laughs> Hal's talking, but in this in this whole scene on Dinosaur Island, he goes on about how much he hates Vandal Savage. Then they kind of realize that, oh, Vandal, Vandal Savage disappears. He wasn't really there. It was a trick. And all of a sudden, they both get zapped with this negative energy, and they end up they end up back in the time uh, in the Old West. And, of course, now they're face-to-face with Jonah Hex. That's right. And we open up in the uh, next issue in the Old West, face-to-face with uh, Jonah himself. Uh, they remove their masks because uh, at the time masks are associated with criminals and robbers. Um, there's a couple of quips. You know, Jonah Hex tells Batman uh, after Batman goes on like, a, "My cow was designed to strike fear into the hearts of my enemies," and Hex is like, "Nah, you just look overheated." <laughs> uh, you know, and they uh, they uh, tell him. Uh, they're there for Vandal Savage and Egg. He recognizes the name. They go through the whole story, um, and uh, he tells uh, Jonah tells his compatriots to get out of there. They say they're not from this time, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're not lying. And Jonah gets off his horse and goes, "A lie like that has to be true." <laughs> <laughs> I learned a while ago: if you hear something so crazy you barely understand it, it's probably true. <laughs> So I kind of like I always like Jonah. Like it's very common for this sort of attitude to be coming from Jonah. Just being like, well, yeah, (laughs) this is batshit crazy. Of course it's happening. (laughs) Um, So uh, they go get dressed in more, uh, you know, time appropriate gear. There, he knows where uh, Savage is at, but it's going to say it's going to be a six day ride north. (laughs) How goes six days uh, and. and Hal go, or Bruce goes on horseback, and Hal goes six days. He's just stopping for naps. Uh, hey Jonah, you into new experiences? And then Hal uses his ring to fly him over there. And then the next thing we see is they're on the outskirts of this town, and Jonah's barfing. <laughs> and this is like, hey, no one's ever traveled like that. Give, give him, give him a minute. Um, so they go down to the town. It's been abandoned for a while. One thing you see on the back, and we'll get back to this maybe later. You see that one of the buildings says Gotham Mining, so this looks like it's you know maybe maybe Gotham, uh, maybe OG Gotham. Who knows? It is sort of old west, so I sort of based on location, maybe it's just uh, uh, Gotham in, in name only as opposed to location. Well, it could but be like a we'll fran- see. Could be like a franchise, maybe they own it or something. Maybe it's so maybe it's like could be. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, as Jonas explained what's gone down in this town and why it's deserted, Hal suddenly his ring lights up uh, and he floats up into the air. The uh, light goes white and he pops out of existence and disappears uh, right as uh, uh, as uh, Vandal Savage shows up with the egg in tow. So clearly Hal's ring has reacted to the egg. Uh, Batman and Jonah square off against, uh, Vandal. Um, you know, Jonah gets a shot off and it's like, well, I mean, he's, he's immortal. It's not going to really do you any good. Um, then the, uh, egg lights up again while they're going against, uh, Savage and his men. It's still lighting up. He's telling Savage to put it down, just drop him back away. It's the only way. And then it, um, as he reaches for it, it flies over to Bruce out of Vandal's hand and he grabs it and he floats in the air. He turns white. Everything goes negative and he pops back into existence in crime alley outside of the Monarch theater. Um, the, the, at the spot where his parents were murdered under the street light, he grabs a box of popcorn out of the trash and puts the Fabergé egg in it. He calls for Alfred to come get him. He sees a car approaching. He's like, hey, thank you. You brought the Lambo. Great. And I haven't started the car yet, Master. So Vandal gets out of the Lamborghini, shoots Bruce. Bruce is dead under the streetlight in the same spot his parents died as Vandal grabs the egg and drives off. And that's the end of the story. (laughs) That was – you have to admit, this – Maybe more than most of the ones in this story. That was a pretty good cliffhanger. <laughs> even though you didn't, even though there was no way in God's green earth he was going to be dead. So we pick up exactly where we left off. Bruce's Bruce's laying in the alley like Alfred up and shot, and it's like a. And he's talking about you know I want you to know that I'm really upset. I'm really upset about dying in the same alley as my parents. Uh, so he's he's just sitting there and he's talking and he's you know he's ta- he's he's confessing to Alfred you know whether Alfred can hear him or not you know how much he really cares about him how much he loves him and how much he admires him and and all that uh meanwhile we have uh well that's well that's going on uh Vandal Savage is driving away he's uh trying to find out what what's the deal with Hal Jordan because because the last time he saw Hal Jordan, you know, from his time in the West, he knows Hal Jordan just kind of disappeared. So he was kind of so I guess he's curious to know since Hal Jordan was was involved in trying to stop him, where Hal Jordan was since uh, he could be I guess a wild card and a problem. Uh, <clears throat> Alfred show Alfred shows up and he finds and he finds uh, Bruce, but Bruce seems to be reacting in a weird way uh, with some white. Looks more like yellow energy, honestly, on the on the page. So, like some yellowish energy uh, coming out of his chest, and all of a sudden, Bruce seems you know he doesn't, he doesn't have a gaping wound in his chest in, anymore. And Al, you know, Alfred's just uh, he's kind of surprised by all this as they get in, as, as they get into the car and drive and, and drive away. It's like uh, I just uh, they're all kind of um, they're trying to fathom i guess exactly what happened with you know why why he's not dead but but as bruce points out i believe i did die and, and, and i was spared and he goes by the egg the riddler stole out of the museum which you've been chasing all over and it's like we have a lot of work to do so at the bat cave uh we find out that uh 
basically Hal had left a message for for Bruce, at, you know, via the Justice League, making it clear that he just wanted to let him know that pretty much that if, if you're getting this message, one of those things, if if you're getting this message, I was transported back from the old west, you know, right into my apartment in Co City. It's like this technology is is really weird. And as soon as I got home. Conveniently enough, as soon as I got home, I got stuck into some serious Green Lantern business, and he basically had to leave the world. But he just wanted to make sure he was okay. And you know, if you know, he's also I'm leaving information with Alfred and Superman. If you, in case you know, just in case something happens and you don't make it back, basically we'll come back and find you. And now, kind of a nice moment considering their relationship or lack thereof. One at times, you know, Bruce is uh, Bruce is returning the phone call. And he's basically letting he's letting Hal know that he's okay, and, and he and he made it back. We see uh, as a as a complete medical scan on Bruce indicates that he you know he's completely healed, and uh, unnaturally by technology we don't know or understand. Sounds like a Palpatine thing, a natural, <laughs> uh, an alien an alien technology, maybe an alien egg uh, leads to more banter with Alfred about a. Uh, Alien spores and all and and all this all this fun stuff. We find out that uh, Dick Grayson is there because basically activating the uh, Batman is missing protocol. <laughs> um, it's like in case of emergency, break glass for for a Batman. I must point out, I hate the way they do the the little logos. I know, I guess because it's for Walmart originally, maybe it's more acceptable. But they like the knock off universally, not looking like the real character name logos that that exist. So, Bat- Batman and, and Dick, you know, kind of have a contingency plan about, about of what to do, and they and they and they leap and they leap into into action, dealing with the Black Order, but not Thanos's Black Order, uh, as they try to pursue pursue the egg. They end up finding Vandal Savage, who's you know kind of dressed in this white, kind of looks like a, a white robe wearing Rasputin at this moment, and you know he. He kind of like is boasting to Batman. It's like, no, I. This has been a great chase, and because I appreciate the effort you put in, it's like I'm going to grant you one wish. You can pick where and when in the universe to die. You know, you pick your place. It's like I'm, you know, it's like uh, I'm not kidding, and it's like I'm not afraid of you, Savage. I have no fear. And then for some reason, you know, when that when he says that, you know, he starts basically reciting the, the Green Lantern oath. As he recites the Green, An- Green Lantern oath, the Fabergé eggs starts to glow. It starts to open up, and inside basically is a is a white a white lantern ring, but not as we know a white lantern ring. It's not the same symbol, and seemingly doesn't have really the same power set. But it is a white colored lantern ring that ba- that Batman ends up. The ring comes to him. He puts on, and I, I like uh, Nightwing is kind of funny. Did I did I miss a Bat Family newsletter? <laughs> So, Bat, you know, Batman is uses, you know, uses this the powering, and because Vandal Savage is needless to say, he's really pissed at this point. It's like I've chased this thing for centuries, and it's like, why does this ancient powering pick you? And and Nightwing's like, well, that's a that's a pretty solid question. Uh, Bruce, Bruce, I mean, Bruce doesn't really care. He's trying to deal with Vandal Savage, and he's like. And he's kind of figuring out that, you know, I thought, you know, 
he, he it's like he's trying to put the pieces together that there was something that there was something about this. It's like they knew there was a power source inside that was unstable. It was programmed and faulty and unstable. And Bruce is trying to you know, and Bruce basically acknowledges that you know what's even though you know he seems to be in control of what he's doing, he's he's really not. It's like uh, pretty much it just acts in defense. So that's why he says to Nightwing, it's like I believe even if you appear to attack me, it will attack you back when he offers to try to help get the ring. Off of, off of Bruce's finger. At this point, the Green Lantern Corps shows up, and it's like, a, <laughs> "You're in serious violation of the laws of the Green Lantern Corps. So, you know, surrender immediately." And Bruce is like, uh, "Well, you know, <laughs> it's like, please, it's like, it's like, uh, I'm Batman of Earth. It's like, uh, some of you know me, and they don't really care because they want him to surrender the ring. It's kind of like a." Cap telling Thor to put the hammer down in the original Avengers movie. It's like it's not really going to work that way. So they they go after they go after Batman and the the White Lantern ring starts defending Batman. And while while, while this you know while this is going on, a huge amount of white energy comes out of Batman, and we basically find, and and Batman basically is trapped somewhere, and that's where this issue ends. Uh, we open up in that somewhere in the final issue uh, where Batman is looking around. He says he's inside the white uh, ring. He's taking some readings and stuff. He sits down. He breathes. He tries to say, ring, what is your function? I am Batman. Greetings. Who am I speaking to? Still nothing. He says, patience. You're a detective in a world with no clues. This could be fun as long as the physical body is okay. Uh, and outside we see all the lanterns fighting above him as his body's on the ground. <laughs> uh, so he starts uh, saying the oath again, and then a an, uh, Owen shows up. Hey, Guardian. Uh, she says her name is Seda, uh, and uh, that she is the creator of the original Power Ring. Join um, the club, man. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> He starts asking her questions. She's clearly a program. She gives some I am sort of answers and then sort of restarts herself. She kind of explains the purpose of a, uh, a ring and a power, a power battery. He says, set of this ring was lost on the planet Earth for many years, and now it has been disturbed. It's a very large threat. Um, not only has this ring programming model been improved on over the years, that program – the program that is you, your program has been corrupted. It's damaged. Uh, she doesn't really react. Um, the fight goes on outside. You know, Vandal's being attacked by the core. He says, the ring is mine. And then Kyle goes, and do you know how many times a Green Lantern hears a version of the ring is mine? Come on. <laughs> um, they keep fighting. Batman wakes up. Um he tells uh, Nightwing that the uh, ring chose another. We see it on um, uh, Vandal's hand. Vandal lights up. He becomes a White Lantern. Uh, he um, grabs Batman by the collar. He says, I'm going to wipe you from the universe. We suddenly uh, open up uh, where Riddler is in a chair with a bag over his head with Deathstroke holding a sword uh, to him. It's a flaming sword, which makes me think of Azrael, but whatever. Um Maybe it's just that Deathstroke has an energy sword now. Who the hell knows? Um, and uh, another person approaches him, and he says, uh, "You know, it's it's Bruce Wayne. He's got long hair and a beard and uh, black gloves it's, and a suit it's on." It's Dark Bruce Wayne. 
John Wick. You're right. Uh, <laughs> His nose looks more like Ned Stark, but you're right. Based on the overall look, it is more of a John Wick look. <laughs> he says, where's Vandal Savage? He also goes by Vandar Ag. Um, and then he is climbing a building. He gets into the building. He sees Savage on the ground. He says, uh, we've met before a party at a Luther, a Luther party a couple of years ago. I'm having dreams. The, uh, in Vandals on the ground by a, a fountain, he, his ring lights up. We're back in the space and, um, Batman is back to being a white lantern, but he doesn't know what's going on. He's still thinking about this reality. And he says, you warned me this, uh, Vandal says they're both wearing a ring, by the way. You warned me, you warned me this ring was a broken nightmare and I returned the favor by erasing Batman from the universe and now I clearly need Batman to help me get me out of this. Not fair, so welcome back. He uses the ring and we get an I'm Batman with, I mean, we're going to talk about the art a lot after all this, but look, that splash page. My God. Uh, anyways, um, Batman comes back, uh, says I'm Batman. He socks Vandal, gets him down, tells him to put the ring down. Seta shows up again and, and says, hey, you can't kill each other or you're kill any or harm anything because you once the ring is chosen, uh, as long as you are assigned into the oath, uh, the ring cannot hurt you. So it's not like you can't be hurt, but the ring can't do the hurting to you because you've been chosen. Uh, she talks about these uh, open portal doors in time and space to help the Green Lantern Corps secure dresses across. And then Vandal runs through one uh, and they start chasing each other through time and space. Uh, you know, behind uh, the cover to Action Comics number one, as Superman lifts the car over his head, uh, in the skies above, uh, maybe that's Enemy Ace or something like that. Uh, Themyscira on Apocalypse with Darkseid and Orion, uh, in, uh, in where the Metal Men are underwater with, um, uh, Arthur, uh, and Atlantis, uh, then, uh, Oh God, I forgot the name of the the giant Dalmatians thing. But uh, and then over in uh, the north, where the uh, Fortress of Solitude is, the ring falls off uh, Vandal's hand. They go through another portal into space. Batman grabs it, and then they're back where they needed to be. Yeah, uh, and uh, Tomar Ray grabs. Uh, where I'm assuming Tomar Ray could be any. Uh, <laughs> it could be yeah, any Tomar. Yeah. Uh, uh, well. Uh, I know this. I know this. What's his race's name? Hey, watch your language. Uh, <laughs> Hold on. What? No. Uh, his race's name. Um. Shit. Who's race? It's like on the tip of my tongue. Who's race? Tomar. Sudarian. Sudarian. Death. Thank you. <laughs> God damn. That's, that's what threw um, me off. Was like, I was like, are you talking about him? I figured. I thought you were talking about somebody else for a second. <laughs> No, no, no. Yeah, Zudarian. Anyways, um, Batman will take the ring from here. He's like, go ahead. Uh, fine. Um, um, we don't know where Vandal is. Uh, we, uh, but then suddenly we, you know, we, the reader, find out he's in the Old West. Uh, Jonah Hex takes care of it. Then back at the Flugelheim Museum, Batman drops off the Fagrafage egg, uh, and some guards respond to the, and like, because the, the silent alarm was tripped. The yeah, egg gets back, and wow, I've been a security guard my entire adult life. That literally never happens. <laughs> uh, and then the end, as Batman goes uh, ziplining off into the to the sky. So, obviously there was some, a lot of lantern stuff in there, and obviously the white lantern thing. Let's, let's just do the white lantern thing. 
first. You said it's not a white lantern ring. I think it is. I think so. So here's the deal. All the white lantern rings that we've seen in the past were created by either the entity or by Kyle, like using all of the colors of the spectrum, you know, and focusing and, and kind of it, it turned into that. He's an outlier. Kyle's the outlier. He's the only one we've ever seen get a white ring because of a quote unquote mastering the emotional spectrum. Everybody else says it's either been split off from another ring or the entity. Yes, the entity has given the entity or the has granted you the power one way or the other. What I think happened is she said, now this is in terms of who the original creator of the power ring was, whatever. Let's go with that and say she is the first creator of the first power ring. Do you remember in Jeff Johns' series when we got flashbacks to the Owens playing around with ring technology and they were in white robes? Well, it's funny you said that because as you're talking, I'm starting to think – I was starting to think back because I, I, I almost thought there was there were some panels that had them with the White Lantern symbol. Yep, the white robes and the white symbol when, like, Chrono uh, was uh, in shackles uh, and everything. This this was – I believe this was uh, like, a, like a flashback around the time that the War of the Green Lanterns was happening. But what I think this is is I think it's the first ring that was created using the power they had access to at the time. So I think this is Owen Tech based on – the white lantern light and energy or inspired by it, thus having similar powers or an and or attributes to the white lantern, such as bringing Bruce back from the dead. I can, I, I can, I can buy that. Yeah. It's not a pure white lantern ring as in created by the entity or something that Kyle, you know, did for his thing. This is, tech based on or somehow connected to based on Owen science. This is, this is purposefully made by someone not can, I don't want to say not connected to the white light because they were, but like in, you know what I mean? So that's what I think this is. Um, Let's, let's get into it. Why, why didn't you like this series? Now I I didn't really hate the series. I got to point out to you. I know during my running my live reaction as I was reading the series and I was text I was messaging Chad a, a blow by blow I was like oh my god oh these are the things I didn't these are the things I didn't like I didn't like I'm all now I understand why you like it you've made the case that you like it because it is a light story there's a lot of humor in it and basically being blunt, being crude or being blunt it's an it's a rare story of Batman without having a stick up his ass. Which is not a story we, we 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 rarely never see that part of Batman. Now, what could make the case is a reason because B- Batman really is not an overly warm and charming character. Whether he's so, it makes sense that he's not. I so I understand why a light tone. And again, when you put it in the context of where the story was essentially what it was created for, I get it. So I'm just I'm judging, but I'm judging this as a just as a series, regardless of where it appeared. The problem is. And and I t- and I don't want to be and I'm throwing this out not because I'm hypo- because I don't want to be hypocritical. That's part of the reason why I'm looking at this with a critical eye. The book that I just wrote that I'm that I'm I'm like my second finished second full draft of. Early on, when somebody who was helping me with the book looked at it, and my mom actually pointed this out too, so I don't want to shortchange her either. The idea that 
I'm all for being funny and being sarcastic and things like that because that's I, I I do a lot of that. Not just me, but I mean I, I when I write, there's a lot of that. But if everybody does it, then not only does it not make it unique, it kind of makes it it kind of like waters it down. So the criticism I would have with the humor, and of course I'm looking at it through that eye now of something that I had to be consciously aware of when I went back and altered how a few characters behaved and things. That when I look at it from this perspective, it's like almost not almost not only is like almost every character funny, they almost all have the same kind of humor. The, the way they deliver the humor, it's all that kind of sarcastic kind of. So that kind of bothered me. Batman, I mean, Batman shouldn't be as funny, you know, as he as he is in this story. I'm okay with him being funny with with Alfred because he's closer to Alfred than anybody. So and even and even Dick. So if he's gonna be if he's gonna be more kind of like jokey with them is because he's closer to them and he's more personally tied to them. I can I, I can get it. I just what bothered me in the beginning was it just seemed like there was way too much humor and everybody was delivering the same kind of humor and so that bothered me. And I don't know if this is a writing problem or the way it was just drawn. I noticed as the book as the book went on there there are too many big splash pages in this book that you think if you didn't know that that there were more pages left to read that this is going to be the end of the story. Like a cliffhanger page, just to have like five or six more pages at least of the book. And I noticed as that came, as it went down, there were there were like these cool moments or cool reveals that you think would normally be at the end of an issue, but they're like halfway through an issue or three quarters through. And I, I and that kind of that kind of that kind of struck me as odd. And I guess I just wasn't th- thinking about the White Lantern stuff from your the way you explained it. I guess that makes more sense. So I guess that bothers me a little bit less than kind of giving maybe a false impression or watering down what a White Lantern ring is. Plus, having it, having almost like a what's my line, I created the first power ring and have all these five different people keep standing up and, and making the claim because it keeps getting changed constantly depending on how we define what they created or what the first ring was. That's that that's pretty that's pretty much it. I mean, the art was okay. It's not really my style, but I think it works well for some characters more than others. Those are basically my critiques of the story. So I said it on Twitter when I teased that we were going to be covering this uh, this uh, for this episode. Uh, I love the art in this in this thing. I I, I really do. Uh, it's it's simple when it needs to be. It's detailed when it needs to be. It reminds me of like a Tim Sale sort of a thing in in some places. I they and I said I, I, you know this is almost verbatim what I said on Twitter, but they've been making these DC trades like the DC Universe by John Byrne, the DC Universe by Mike Mignola, the DC Universe by Alan Moore, you know those those sorts of things. I want a DC Universe by uh, uh, <laughs> I, I want a DC Universe by Nick Darrington trade because I love this art. And when I first pitched that we do this, I sent you some screenshots of some of the bigger splash pages, mostly of Batman, one of which included like the the splash in the final issue where he goes, I am Batman. And you see like his memories return and you have his entire rogues gallery and some of his bat family and some of the things and characters he's interacted with in this story behind him. I thought that was phenomenal. I think in the first issue, there's one where he's uh, coming down onto the 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 villains or whatever the the stunt team out in front of the museum when the Fabergé egg is first being 
taken and you're like you're look you're on the ground looking up at Batman coming down from the rooftops. Such a fantastic uh, image. There are other things I see that I'm sitting here and I'm like, I like I wish it was a full page splash page like when Dick and uh, Batman jump out of the Batcopter. Like I think that would look fan- not phenomenal uh as a as as something uh they did a like a double page splash when they arrived on dinosaur island i wish nick would have skipped that splash and done like a bigger splash with you know more more dinosaurs more detail more you know kind of uh uh you know uh, maybe it could have been in the fight sequence i don't know i just i freaking love the art um there are times when because of the scene you know the character has to be a bit further away and 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 uh, a bit smaller. And when I was reading the credits, I don't remember reading of an inker, so I'm assuming Nick is inking himself here. But because the 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 panel is smaller or the character is smaller in the panel, uh, in those instances, sometimes I feel like the inks are a little too heavy. Uh, uh, it could just be, you know, a fact of a, a fact of the size of the panel he's working with, and the fact that you need to make the character more distinctive because, you know, the 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 detail lines are obviously going to be less on a smaller character, smaller perspective. Um, but yeah, I'm just scrolling through here. Yeah, all it says is Nick Darrington, artist and cover, Dave Stewart, colorist, and Carlos and Mangual letterer. It doesn't say anything about an, an inker, which would mean that Nick Darrington likely did his own inks. Um, so sometimes I think those inks get just a little too heavy, but man, I had fun with this because, you know, primarily, and, and just to come back to it, what you had said, it, it is true. I am, I am very, very sick of dark Batman. I am very, very sick of the Batman in DCU that we get right now. Who's a perma stick up his ass, who doesn't really, uh, you know, uh, work very well with others is going to be, uh, a, a dark twat all of his life. And yet somehow works with a team of heroes, has family members in the form of the Bat family. He's got Alfred to keep a, you know, a, a realistic and good head on his shoulder to protect his, let's essentially face it, Alfred's son. He, Batman himself has Dick. He has Jason. He has Tim. He has Damien. He has Barbara and, you know, Gordon to an extent. He's got all of these positive influences in his, in his life and people that count on him and things like that. It's just like, I'm, I'm so done with this. We got to keep him dark and gritty and, and angry and forlorn. And, you know, just all this, all this sort of stuff. I'm okay. You know, Batman, can Batman be darker? Sure. Does he have to be perma dark? No, I like a bat. Like, this is why sometimes I like cracking open like old sixties or seventies Batman comics where Batman is just walking down the street you know, like, hey, citizen, <laughs> you know, hey, that that sort of thing. Do I want to go full 60s TV show Batman? No. But do I want a Batman like I can, like I saw in Justice League, in Justice League Unlimited, where like he's on the rooftop with, you know, Diana and telling her that dating within the team doesn't work. And she's like, lists, he lists off all these reasons. She counters him and goes, try again. And you see like a little smile on his face and like those sorts of things. Let's do we have to have him dark all the fucking time? No. Uh, and we got this. And you know what? From a storytelling point of view, one of the things that makes no sense, if you want me to give it a critique, there was no effing reason for us to go to Thanagar. 
<laughs> that had, is true. That, had nothing, that, that didn't move the story along at all. Didn't move the story along at all, other than showing that not only can you be teleported through time, you can be teleported through space. So you give us that. But where we ended up in that teleportation had absolutely nothing to do with the story. And you know what? I don't give a shit. <laughs> I enjoyed that. That was a cool interaction. We got a cool little Batman slash Hawkman crossover looking look for him with the with the harness and everything. You got to see a lot of Thanagarians down. You got to have that cool moment. Even you said you liked it where they mentioned how, you know, like, come on. Like, that's just, that was just fun. But there was if you think about it, there was no point to having that there. Zero. It did absolutely nothing for the story. But you know what? I'm fine with it. <laughs> It was – I do like the fact that – I do have a natural fondness for stories that kind of – because this goes back to the old Marvel team-ups where sometimes my, – my favorite arc in Marvel team-up – I mean I forget the issue numbers. But it was like it was like a five or six issue arc where they cross – I mean where it's – I think it may have started off with Spider-Man and the Scarlet Witch and, and then then the next issue, you know, they, the Vision was brought in and then Doctor Doom was brought in and they had all these different – so it was like one big story that cut, that ended up ha- tying into like, you know, have, having every issue like featured a different character. So I did kind of like that aspect of this where, you know, other than the, you know, the initial issue basically just being Batman on his own, then you get, you know, Green Arrow – you get Green Arrow in the second issue, and then you have, uh, but, ha- and then you end up, you know, with, with him and Hal, and him and, you know, and, and I, I just like, I do, I did like the way they kind of, in Nightwing and things like that, so I, I, I did like that aspect of it. I thought that was, so. Yeah, because I, and I made that point to you too, like, talking about uh, Batman Brave and the Bold or, or classic old issues of Batman Brave and the Bold or the DC uh, Comics Presents series where it was just like two characters together. Look at this weird shit. Go. What's the story? Like one of my favorite covers is is um, the the Batman Brave and the Bold 167. And I have this uh, I have this one, but this is it's Batman and Blackhawk. The cover are the Blackhawks in their planes, and their planes are pointed at the ground. We're not going at a 45-degree angle. They are effing dive-bombing the ground. And Batman is standing on top of Blackhawk's plane (laughs) while he's piloting it, just surfing this thing towards the ground. And you look at this ridiculous-ass cover and go, even Batman would have to, like, secure himself somehow. Where's his line? <laughs> like, whatever. And you're just looking at this going, this is insane. I've got to read this story. That's kind of what I get when I read this Batman universe thing, is I'm looking at this, and I'm, you know, the covers aren't necessarily this way, but the story itself is in such a way, I'm just like, I gotta know, I, I gotta know, like, they're gonna pair these people, let's just fucking see what happens. I'm here for it. That's why I picked up so many of those DC Universe or DC Comics Presents or old Batman Brave and the Bold issues is because I looked at the cover and go, well, shit, I got to know what happens there. <laughs> I agree. I think it's a uh, – I agree. I, 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 there are definitely reasons to like this story. There's no doubt about that. It just it – it, it was a little slow in developing to hook my interest. I can see that. I can see that. Uh, but uh, 
my main takeaway is the art, but I'm also just here for the fun. And given what Bendis has been doing and other points in the DCU, which not necessarily that I believe all the things that he's done is, is bad, like especially with the Superman titles. But, you know, but for for somebody to have that sort of a range, um, it's and it's not like the Superman stuff he's doing is dark and gritty or anything, but like it's obviously more serious or whatever. It's like Bendis is capable of doing some just kind of fun off the wall stuff. I mean, the story really would have no consequences or anything. And he's just like, you know what? I'm going to tell a fun ass story. And and here it is. Uh, so I, I just like seeing that, that different side of Bendis. I can see that too. That makes sense. All right. Uh, anything else we need to talk about this episode? I don't think so. We decided if, – if you're listening to this, Jim, we decided to punch your question into next week's episode. We have we did not forget about it. There was just a lot – there was just a bunch of obviously current, super timely stuff that came out since the last time we recorded. So we figured that's why we dealt with that in the uh, – even though it's kind of hard to – on one level, it's somewhat comical to say you finally seeing Star Wars was timely. But we know, but we know, but people know what we mean. <laughs> you, you, you just saw it, so now we can finally talk about it. <laughs> yeah, well, just just to explain, nobody needs to know my life story or anything. But just to explain, uh, last weekend I actually celebrated Three Kings Day with my uh, stepmother and my little brother and my dad, my sister and my brother-in-law. We were supposed to celebrate it the weekend before, but a family member died, so dad and them had to go up there for that uh, that funeral and viewing, so we got it pushed back to last weekend. I've also had a recent promotion. Uh, I've, it's been uh, already a thing for a couple of weeks now, but the actual like transitioning to what the actual role will be happens this week. My sister has her gender reveal party on um, uh, on this coming Sunday. Uh, uh, and I know what the gender is. <laughs> she doesn't. Uh, I would say something here. Uh, because I'm pretty damn sure that there's no way my sister would listen to it. But on the off chance that she could possibly be trying desperately to dig for any <laughs> and all hints, I'm not going to say a damn thing. Uh, but yeah, she, she found out at the, uh, at the doctor's office the other day and we got like a 3d ultrasound. Amber texted me the picture and I got to see the little face of my uh, little niece or nephew. And, uh, uh, yeah. And then, uh, she gave the results to her her uh, mother in law, who then told uh, called and told my mom, so that both the moms knew. And, and then I immediately called my mom, so she could tell me, because I wanted to like, you know, I wanted to at least get like something for the party. We're having a big party. I want to give some sort of a gift. So I know it's not typically common at a gender reveal, but it's like <laughs> just freaking tell me. Um, so I've just had a lot of shit going on. So like. I do actually want to give some thought to Jim's question. I just, I honestly haven't had time to give any thought to it. <laughs> That's fair. I can't. Oh. Being honest. That's all we can do, man. <laughs> For sure. All right. You want to tell people how they can reach us? Yes. Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, use hashtag GLCast to find us on the, either of those. App, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And Stitcher, please leave us a positive view on whichever platform you listen to us on. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. And let us know what you think. For sure. Uh, yeah. Again, reiterating what we said at the top of the episode, 
if you can, if it's not a problem for you, please start listening to us uh, on on uh, Spotify if you can, uh, and I mean that uh, exclusively if if you can. Um, I think that, like I think there could be a way we could potentially fix things to where we could create a new login, transfer all the stuff over. But I, honestly, like given the history and the sheer amount of episodes and the reviews we've already gotten on uh, Apple podcasts and just like all that stuff, I'm there's just almost no way something just won't get lost in translation. So it's almost not worth it. So if you can uh, listen to us on Spotify and uh, I think uh, the black stars issue got pushed back. So we are not, uh, we are not going to be reviewing that next week either. I don't think No, we have one more week. We have one more week to fill quote unquote. And then I think we'll be able to do. If we are, you know, if we record in a timely fashion, like, uh, well, it could be another week in which we actually cover an issue that came out the same day we're recording. So that is probably what we'll do for the, not next week's episode, but the week after. Uh, for sure. And for next week, we don't know yet, guys. So we will talk to you next week. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>